0: Welcome to Explain to Shane. I'm your host, Shane Tews at the American Enterprise Institute. On this podcast, I interview tech industry experts to explain how the apps, services, and structures of today's information technology system work and how they shape our social and economic life. Congress and the Federal Communications Commission have before them many important decisions that could help ensure innovation and investment in our communication networks. One issue is the need for a spectrum pipeline to help ensure that radio spectrum is used in an efficient manner while minimizing the risk or disruption and interference. Spectrum management also ensures that the technology developments that need regulatory certainties, such as fifth-generation wireless or 5G and low-Earth orbital satellites or LEOs, are able to obtain the spectrum licenses they need to operate to ensure these emerging technologies can connect more devices and consumers in the digital economy. We are also watching a multitude of broadband programs the federal departments and agencies are rolling out, along with state programs, to provide access to the Internet via broadband connections. These are some of the many topics we address in today's episode of Explain to Shane. My guest today is Mike O'Reilly. Mike served as an FCC commissioner for seven years and as a congressional staffer on both the House and Senate side for 16 years, where he worked on many legislative efforts in the telecommunications area. Mike is now CEO of M.P. O'Reilly Consulting, where he continues to work on these important telecommunications issues. Mike, welcome back to Explain to Shane. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) There is so much going on in this space that every once in a while you're like, I need to call in my expert so I know what is going, make sure my head is right and what's going on here. Let's let's start with what is going on with the the spectrum pipeline. I know that there is a, um, so the FCC authority, expired in October but they pushed that forward to March 9th right
1: that's right okay so tell us what that means well it means the ability of the FCC to hold an auction for spectrum licenses would expire mm-hmm. um, and therefore the Commission would go back to revert to its old means which are you know don't make any sense in the current current model the current worldview of spectrum licenses um, so you know it's something I imagine that Congress will extend the real question are the c- components of that Um, that, that kind of effort.
0: I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, remember when you were a house staffer, did you understand how important these things were versus when you were at the FCC and now you're like, why didn't they pay more attention?
1: You know, it's funny to see this this go around. I've probably done like six of these okay. in my life. And so to see in different views from the House to the Senate to the right. to the regulatory body and now on the outside in a, as a consultant, to see all the different components and how all the pieces fit together from different views is really an interesting uh, retrospective of, of my past life.
0: Right. And now you understand. The one thing I always think of when I talk to House staff is that they they don't completely get the economics of what's going on there and the, the importance of the regulatory consistency and, and understanding what's going on. So, um, which brings us to the pipeline. People talk about this, and I have in my head what I think the the Spectrum pipeline is, but can you give us some little nuggets of thoughts about the?
1: Well, sure. I mean, most of the people who will listen to this are well-versed in the topic, but the Spectrum pipeline is is a simple term for the plan for having Spectrum uh, available for new wireless services going forward. And today, all um all usable spectrum is allocated for some purpose or another and to um go for something new some new opportunity new wireless service you've got to um you know disrupt someone who exists today uh, most of the spectrum a, a great deal of spectrum is held by Non-commercial users, the government, the federal government, in this case, mostly DOD, Department of Defense, um, is a great uh, user of Spectrum. And we have to negotiate and different layers of the government have to try and free uh, bands from their, their clutches. So I know they're a great holder of Spectrum are they a great
0: user of spectrum?
1: We honestly don't have good data on that. Okay. We have and and actually having, you know, which particular bands that they may use and how often they use them um and where do they use them particularly is all data that can be very uh classified um and and require you know very in-depth conversations in the most secure rooms and so you often don't get that from someone who's not um not a brief to and not not doesn't have the security clearance and so a lot of the data is is unavailable to the public and i'm not sure that it exists otherwise um to know how efficient um, we know that federal government users as a whole are not efficient users of spectrum So Wired Magazine
0: came out with a piece this weekend uh, that talks about how Eric Schmidt is like the new darling of the Department of Defense, which from a technological perspective could be a good thing, but it makes me a little worried. For those of us who understand that, you know, the, I'll I'll just straight out call it spectrum hoarding. You know, the idea of we need these bands for multiple things, and if we tell the Department of Defense that it's okay because now somebody's got a new plan, that that worries me. So this pipeline idea of being as public as possible, especially with the uh, interagency process, I know has always been an entanglement. Uh, you know, like trying to figure out how this is going, and uh, which brings us back to the very beginning is when you guys did C band. Did it take a lot of convincing to kind of clear that space and and kind of repurpose that area? Are we back into that cycle right now
1: or... Well, we sort of are, but in C-band, we luckily had willing participants. The satellite companies who were, uh, you know, international satellite companies that were operating were willing to free a portion of their, their band that they were using, uh, shrink their footprint per se, and then be able to, you know, make that available for new wireless services, uh, that are being deployed for 5G, Um, You know, in the United States today as we speak and being rolled out under two different phases. So we had some luckiness there. That's the difficulty when, you know, when you have willing participants versus someone or some entity like the Department of Defense, who's not a willing entity um, and and often uses the change in government leadership um, and different, you know, waves of circumstance um, in its favor. Right. So they either hit the pause button
0: or they go, let's let's circle back on that. Let's let's hold. And so you kind of feel like you're making a lot of measures forward and. Sometimes it doesn't go as far as two
1: steps go. forward, two steps back. Often, right,
0: <laughs> right back in the same place. Uh, so, uh, so since you mentioned uh, the satellite guys, there's, there seems to be a lot going on in that space, which is a new space for me. So I'm thoroughly fascinated by it. You know, you have a couple of friends who been wanting to talk about space law for 20 years and i'm like oh good luck good luck going to space and now you're like i have to pay attention to what these people are saying (laughs) so uh the there there was something that happened at the fcc in like the last week or two i know that there's been concerns uh we i hear from uh you got the spacex people that and then you got the kuiper people and then there's others in the space and they they all want to get up there and the first mover advantage of the spacex team seems to be doing a very good job of holding on to their first mover advantage. So are we getting better about sharing that space? Are we giving them elbow room or how's that going?
1: Well, look, uh, we have an obligation as a government. I'm no longer part of it um, to make the best policy, you know, moving forward. And the FCC can do that. Um, We we have... Uh, improvements to make, and, and the commission can um, really, uh, you know, take steps to make sure that it, the policies it designs going forward for spectrum sharing of particular bands or other decisions it makes, um, are in the best interest of innovation and competitiveness and and a longstanding industry. First mover advantage certainly can work, but we've also seen first movers crash and burn. Um. So you have to be protective of not just, you know, not just make sure that, you know, the investment that maybe SpaceX or others have made, um, but you want to be mindful of what the industry is going to look like going forward. And in my past job, that's what I, I would worry about is like not just about today, but what does it mean going forward? And if you think about Spectrum Pipeline, for instance, it's not just about today and having Spectrum for today, it's about 10 years out. How do you make sure that you have the opportunity when the need is? And that's kind of how we are on a- and appropriate uh, for satellite policy. So with the new Congress in, they've
0: had two hearings already on a low, on the satellites. And I, saw, I was reading some of the testimony this weekend, knowing you were coming on, and they were talking about harmful interference concerns between the operators. And so, are we? Do we? Some I know they've hired one of the testimonies said they've hired thirty six percent more. So I don't know what an actual human element of that is, but it's thirty six percent more. But are we are we getting the right people in place so we can be thinking about this? Because you know, it gets a little scary when you start thinking about stuff bumping into each other up there.
1: Right. So these are satellite um, you know, constellations. And the question is, you know, when parked in particular positions, do they cause interference with other satellite constellations at certain times, at certain moments, depending on where they are? Um, you know, globally. And you're you're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen so no one gets disrupted. Um, interference does happen. It's natural. And you're trying to make sure that, you, you know, you minimize those circumstances. And what are the, you know, what's the procedure for dealing with that? Is it cooperation? Is there some kind of hard and fast rule? And the commission has some some work to do. It has an open proceeding to try and figure out how do we best share spectrum? And how do we make sure that when new entrants, and en- you know, come into the field, that they're not, you know, that they are not penalized um, for being, you know, maybe a year later than the the first round uh, of applicants, and how do you address that? Because really, when we're talking about LEOs, which are much different than the big global geosystems, you know, they we're talking about smaller satellites, my, many more thousands of satellites. Um, it, you know, it's a whole different communication um, uh, between you know the satellite and the Earth in terms of the speed and what you're able to do with it. Um, and and so having these new fleets, these huge constellations, there's you know, it requires more work. Um, and that's something that the commission has to stand up and be ready for. I think they have a proceeding right now for that purpose. How do we make sure that we can, uh, balance these concerns? And, and, you know, and as I talked about earlier, it's making sure that innovation and competition are protected as they deal out, um, you know, trying to, to figure out what's, you know, what's harmful interference, what's the right measurement. Um, and you mentioned the, the hiring of staff. They have bumped up the staff, from my understanding, in the, in the International Bureau, which is now going to be the Satellite Bureau. Um, which is, you know, exciting. It's a signal that the commission is is mindful of how dynamic the satellite industry is. So, uh, step
0: away from just the FCC for a second, because you brought up a really good point, which is that it is international. So, where do we go next on that? We're in front of the ITU,
1: right? So, we negotiate at, at the ITU on an ongoing basis, but then at the, every four years, we meet at the World Radio Communication Conference. This year in Dubai around Thanksgiving time. Um, and so love They love
0: having international things around Thanksgiving.
1: <laughs> they Just tend to. love to do that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they also, I think they plan for the weather too, right? You know, Dubai and, and Thanksgiving is better than July, July and other times of the year. That's so. true. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the entire world um, spectrum leaders will get together and try to harmonize, which means how do the bands, the United States picks and the U.S. government picks for particular purposes match up globally, that everyone tries to figure out the right bands for certain purposes. And in satellite, you try to you know, make sure um, that there's enough spectrum allocated for new satellite purposes, um, and there'll be different decisions made, like C-band that we talked before, how do changes in C-band in the United States affect the rest of the world. And your,
0: your point about how for people that don't spend a lot of time here, it feels like everything just gets catapulted into space. So we have different versions of this. So what's the difference between the LEOs and the really big... Things that, to me, remind me of Goldfinger in a Bond movie, but
1: yeah. The, the the short answer is it's really how far away from the Earth are they? Leos are a certain distance, and you have Mios, and then you have Geos, and, and fewer, the higher you go, you have bigger satellites, um, and you have fewer satellites that are necessary. And so you can have non non geostationary, meaning they're moving around um at the lower altitudes and as the higher you go you can go to geos which means they're actually moving at the same uh, pace um as the earth is rotating and you can have many fewer satellites you know the cost is much cheaper to have fewer satellites but then the communication that the, the throughput the time it takes to go up and back um is longer and therefore communications like that are more sensitive you know Broadband purposes, um, voice communications um, are disrupted and, and can be, you know, can be uh, less less quality for the consumer. And so a, a lower, you know, the LEO systems um, provide a better quality of service and require more work and more constellations uh, and more effort. And they're the exciting part. We're seeing all the investment from the big uh, the big players in, in the space. Thank you. That's very helpful.
0: So with that now in mind, let's go back to planet Earth and the United States of America. Uh, And talk about all these different programs we have to connect America. I really think with all this money we're spending, if we don't get it done this time, we're not trying hard enough. Or (laughs) the plans for the plan uh, are somehow interfering. So let's start with,
1: well, I don't know, which one do you want to start with? Well, look, we've we've got so many different programs available for broadband deployment. The big one, the big enchilada is the BEAD program at NTIA. $42.5 billion are going to go out in the next couple of years to build out and expand existing broadband networks to basically everybody in our nation. There are pockets of unserved popu- you know, and, and underserved population, uh, people who have poor quality or no quality today. And I've been to those areas and it's really disheartening to know what the impact is, um, and, and see firsthand what it means for their lives. Um, I think that broadband can be beneficial for those that want it. I don't want to force it on anyone. Um, but I've, I've seen the benefit that broadband can bring. Um, and in the programs, you know, this is bipartisan Congress um, that decided, you know, some of the spending. I have difficulty with the size of the programs and also the coordination between uh, the, the NTIA program I just mentioned, but you also have the Treasury money um you have money at 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 USDA and you have a number of different programs that are you know smaller than that combined with that all of the money that came off of covid that's is pretty flexible um in terms of how the you know state governments can use it you've got a lot of money sloshing around and i am extremely worried about waste fraud and abuse um, and how those dollars will not go ultimately um, to where they're intended. And we're still going to have a problem at the end of the day, um, whenever that is, and say, gee, there's still a portion of the population that doesn't have connectivity, uh, and that would be the fault of of, of the government because it hasn't done a good job managing the process. And for those
0: of us who spend a lot of time in this area, the maps, 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 uh, talk maps. about maps all the time. And uh, Vineeth, who is down in Louisiana, has done the best job of anyone I've talked to to really understand the parishes uh, you know, versus the counties. Where he, you know, he understands where our US has gone in, and where they're going to be challenged, and be able to talk to the local officials about, yes, you're eligible for bead money. And you need should be co- collaborating with this group. You have this. I still don't know what the Treasury seems like a big grab bag to me. I don't know exactly who's in charge of that, but it seems like a really fun slush fund for like just throwing money out there, because it seems like it's very similar to bead.
1: Well, it is, but actually, with more I'll call it flexibility. It's just it's kind of you know originally the draft rules the, the early rules looked like they're going to match up with bead pretty well or at least the, the thoughts that people had and they threw those out and pretty much just you know it, it gives you know flexibility to the treasury secretary and the and the teams within treasury to kind of do what they want um and they can override decisions on overbuilding i mean there's some real damage that can be done with the treasury money we hope it goes for good purposes um, but i'm not too confident at the current time when you have these programs that have little coordination between each other you have a you have a you have a, you have a, a Density uh, for failure or for the you know causing damage in terms of if you have two federal programs overbuilding and then they're overbuilding a private sector provider that's really damaging uh to the, when you know there's need elsewhere it's right. being ignored a lot
0: of money going into one particular area because they think the people can pay their bills where it's going and then as everybody who listens to this show knows i'm from nebraska even I mean i'm from lincoln which i grew up in an islec we had we have plenty of broadband because it's also a university and a Uh, government town but you know you go a couple 50 75 miles out you're starting to get into you need fixed wireless or a leo something that 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 is going to connect you the further you get out and uh, you know with all the precision agriculture and the cool things that we're seeing it's interesting because that is a need more than a want for somebody to go throw a lot of money into these rural areas you think about montana and in wyoming and I get the fortune of running around in Colorado because my family's from there in um, August. And you get outside of a, a, you know, an area like Colorado Springs or Denver, and you very quickly cannot use your cell phone.
1: No, absolutely. And you have the kind of two parts, right? You have the, the broadband service, fixed service in some instances, and then you have your mobility, your wireless services, and see how many dead zones you have. And that's something – You know, the FCC has worked hard and I did there, spent a lot of my time on those purposes to improve. And we spent a lot of money, uh, to improve and they did improve. The data is better. The, you know, the service quality is better nationwide, but it's such a diverse, uh, nation. It's such a, you know, geographically challenged nation. You mentioned Colorado with its mountain ranges and all the things that come with that and Lincoln, Nebraska with the flats, um, and and fewer people. And it's hard to serve both. Um, and the models don't necessarily match up depending on where you are. And so you're, you're trying to, to work through those issues. Uh, And then there's another program that got started
0: during COVID, the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it's got a budget cliff looming. So throw this one into the mix.
1: Yeah, it's an important program. The ACP Um, it actually deals with, you know, instead of deployment, all the money I talked about, you know, upwards of $100 direct dollars going for deployment. This is on the affordability side. This is on the adoption side. You can build a network, but if the person can't afford it, um, you know, and these aren't just like urban poor. We're talking about there are many pockets in the United States where the cost of broadband is a little bit outside the budget of a, of a family. And as the more rural you get, the more you can see economic uh, difficulties. And so um, this is a program that provides, you know, there's $14 billion allocated by Congress um, to connect. Consumers, This is, you know, and it's done in a technology-neutral way. Take those dollars to whatever provider you think is best. You mentioned FICT Wireless. You mentioned a lot of different technologies that are out there for the, that can be used for broadband connectivity. Um, and the consumer gets to decide how they're best going to spend those dollars. And the good part about this program, from my viewpoint, is it still keeps Congress in the driver's seat. It is, you know, it's something that's so important that we've we don't have in other places and we don't have in the universal service programs at the fcc they're on almost automatic pilot here's a program where yes we're coming up to a financial cliff but that's something for congress to decide and figure out how do we allocate more dollars do we adjust eligibility do we turn some of the dials to make sure it fits what we're kind of expecting and can we root out some of the fraud waste and abuse which is natural in any time the government is giving out dollars so i really appreciate that aspect of it and the the flip side of it is if you don't do something on adoption or affordability, if you ignore that problem, then you really do heighten the likelihood that, you know, groups on the you know more center left, those on the more liberal side will tend to push for price regulation. They'll push in my old institution, they'll push on Capitol Hill. Um, for regulating the prices of broadband offerings. And that's really detrimental, not only to, um, to the companies, which, you know, but that trickles out. That, that is an impact on consumers. It means how the dollars are being spent, how the networks are being expanded, um, and the rates that they're able to charge. And it's really, um, it's not going to just be in those particular areas that where the liberal groups are in favor it's going to be nationwide they're going to adjust uh, rates and that's that's really problematic and it feeds into things like other policies that i think are detrimental like net neutrality and etc there's so many things will flow from that um, and so i believe there's important there's an importance to do something on affordability on adoption and the acp in my mind is the best program we have built to date for this purpose so to just
0: Tap into the reality challenge here. So you have a group of users that have gotten used to the idea that this
1: thirty dollars is you know per household, I believe. Right. That's it's a thirty dollars subsidy. It used to be fifty, and Congress adjusted it and said, you know what, this is the right number, and that's something Congress can look at again. But thirty dollars, and it kind of matches up with what the the rate is from uh, a number of different providers for the for a bucket of. Of of broadband services today, and so ultimately consumers can get you know service for free um, if you fall into particular need category don't Use the word free here at the American Enterprise Institute, but <laughs> well, it's free for the consumer. I didn't say it's free, somebody, oh, right. else, is somebody paying, else is paying, right? right? Yeah, the it's not is, actually free. The right? Government is paying the $30 yeah. on, on one aspect, and the provider is getting a subscriber, but they're also contributing there. There's more than they would have given otherwise, um, if there weren't this program. So, there's nothing is free in life, right? Um, I agree with that message, but for the consumer perspective, um, this it feels program, free. So that seems to be part of the problem. I think we're going to run into is they've
0: there's uh, they've they've gotten used to the idea that somebody else is picking up the tab on this, right? So they, and now, and I like your point about how Congress is still in the driver's seat versus these other programs that could become sort of the annuity, you know, like they, they just get paid by some of their agency. But if the Congress does not plan on this, it will that the money is not going to show up. And these people that have the expectation of having that program paid for is going to stop.
1: Well, we're talking about 16 million consumers today um, and it's growing, you know, half a million to a million a, a month. Um, so by the time next year rise, you know, and we're not sure exactly the timing of when all the dollars will um, expire or be used up. But if you say first quarter of next year, you're talking, you know, 20 million consumers. There's a population, give or take, estimated about 50 million. So we're about a that third are, of the that way. That are eligible. they are eligible. Okay. 50 to 60 million, depending on how uh, eligibility, you know, is adjusted um, in those circumstances. So we're about a third of the way um, in terms of the number of people that have signed up Um, And so those people will, you know, lose access. Um, And people say, oh, that's okay. The broadband companies, um, they'll lose their subscribers. So what? And you go, yes, it's not about the broadband companies. They do get, they do benefit by having new subscribers, but it's really about the consumer. It's about that family who needs connectivity. They've gotten used to having
0: the greatest
1: piece of democracy we've ever had in the internet in their
0: hand or in their house. And now we're saying, we're going to take that away. Good luck or adjust your family spending. If you think this is important.
1: Yeah. And so many parts of our lives today, um, you know, are reliant um, on the Internet or, you know, it's such a critical component right. of our experience. And it's not just, you know, uh, we're here in Washington, D.C., and we have a certain lifestyle. But in, you know, in more rural parts of America, it's about, you know, telehealth. It's about um, agricultural. It's about how do you sell your, you know, your product? How do you get, you know, how do you get information? How do you get deliveries? How do you get, you know, things that you're far away from certain supplies that you may need? It's, it's, it's an, I don't want to call it a necessity because that's what people like to say. Well, then you have, then you have an obligation to get It's so the government that's, it's not a necessity, but it certainly is very important for many American families. And that's why the adoption of the affordability side is so important to address.
0: I coming out of this year's consumer electronics show, the one thing that really struck me and I wrote about this was um, aging in place. I was kind of like, okay, so there's a lot of robots, robot cars, robot robots. And then I went to this whole area and I was like, what's going on over here? And it really is interesting because you think about how just the money we spend towards end of life and the ability to make people more comfortable. And and you do need connectivity for a lot of these technologies to work, but the pennies on the dollar that you spend in the healthcare space could really be a huge benefit, not only just to the person who uses it, but to the entire system. So I think we're on a path that we'd like to stay on with this connectivity.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, fundamentally, I believe in ACP because it helps people and you know families that are in need. You know, upward mobility—they can take themselves into a new stratosphere You talk about the aging and how they can do some. You know, the connectivity is so important for a um, number of services they need at the end of uh, end of the cycle, uh, end of life time frame. Um, and they're so expensive, and if you can you know address some of those needs, you can really lower the cost that the government has um, and the private sector has for, but while giving a good quality of service, a good quality to their lives, you know, in the, in the most need time.
0: So uh, just coming to the end of this fun podcast, it's been great to talk to you. What just anything that we should be looking out for? What are you focusing on? Give us an idea of what's you know
1: ahead in your world. Well, we talked about three important things. We talked about ACP. We talked about the Leos, which I'm really spending a lot of time on. I and mean, we talked about Spectrum Pipeline because of the, t- the deadline coming up and how critical it is to have Decisions made um, clearly, and we and I think if you were to you know to, to close it up, you know it, it's making the right decisions by the FCC, making sure my old institution, um, you know, does clear rules thoughtfully um, executes uh, to make sure that everyone knows what's happening, uh, but also does in in a way that protects competition, innovation, um, and the consumer.
0: Fantastic! Thank you for being a guest again today on Explain to Shane. Thank you for listening to another episode of Explain to Shane. For more episodes, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred listening platform. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in. We'll see you on the next episode of Explain to Shane.